Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, everybody, Tom Rose, the Bauer and Rose podcast, the Bauer and Rose show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, brought to you by our good friends at justthenews.com. You can catch our podcast several times a week. Just hit the subscribe button. Give us a good rating wherever you get your podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. We are there for you. Um. Gary's away today, but I wanted to uh, take this chance not simply <laughs> to pre-butt Bauer on all the very few issues that we that we disagree with, but to to try to um, put some kind of broader perspective to the issue that I think conservatives face. I think conservatives right now have a problem, and when I'm speaking of conservatives, I'm speaking of everyone right of center. The America firsters, the non-Trumpers, the never Trumpers, the pro-Trumpers, the anti-MAGA, the pro-MAGA. We don't seem to agree yet or understand the threat that we face. We should be in unison. There should be one thing that unites all of us that supersedes any of the areas where we might disagree. Despite all our differences, Uh, And there aren't that many differences, but they're healthy differences. The greatest threat to this country is the left of this country. It isn't the Chinese Communist Party that's destroying our kids. Xi Jinping isn't advocating genital mutilation surgeries. He's not the one pushing hormone blockers to minor children. He's not celebrating drag shows or cross-dressing. It isn't Putin that locked down our schools or printed trillions of unfunded dollars. It isn't North Korea or even Iran that's causing historic inflation and has catapulted our national debt to an incalculable $33 trillion. It isn't rhinos or even Tucker Carlson that's ruining almost every institution in our country. It's the left If we don't understand that, if we don't recognize that, and if we don't unite to fight that, then I think all really is lost. Too many conservatives on both sides of the Ukraine question or the Donald Trump question don't seem to have quite yet understood that for many conservatives, whether to aid Ukraine or whether to support Donald Trump seems to overshadow the left. Now, naturally... Those with whom we agree, we find points of disagreement, and that's what we argue about, and that's what we talk about. And this week, it's Ron DeSantis and uh, Donald Trump and the Piers Morgan interview and the potential uh, indictment of the president on, on, on ludicrous, absurd, pathetic charges. And these are important issues, but it serves the left when we lose sight of the fact that the great danger to this country 
is from the left. That is certainly something that every right-of-center American should agree with. And we should be able to find a way to unify, whether it's behind Ron DeSantis, whether it's behind Donald Trump, whether it's behind whoever it's behind. The danger we face is imminent. The danger we face is overwhelming. And it's, it's quite potentially terminal or fatal if we don't confront it. And to confront it successfully, we're going to have to have a strategy. We're going to have to have a plan that we're all able to get behind. Too many conservatives think that every Republican um, who supports Ukraine should be run out of the movement. And on the other hand, too many rhinos are so obsessed with with uh, preventing a Donald Trump rerun that they want to excise, they want to cut out Trump supporters from the movement. And conservatives who, who support aiding Ukraine, and this is where I think Ukraine becomes an issue, don't seem to me to be as willing to immediately dismiss conservatives who oppose such aid as the many conservatives who, uh, I wouldn't say are afraid of aiding Ukraine, but are, are, are skeptical of our plan and our approach, uh, are willing to dismiss all those conservatives like me who support aiding Ukraine. It's a healthy argument to have. It's a, it's a necessary argument to have. But it shouldn't define us to the exclusion of all else. Now, these are just my opinions, obviously. You're, you might disagree. And it'd be great if you were able to disagree in a way that, that strengthens our movement. Just as surely as I might disagree with you on a thought or an opinion, if it's constructive, if it helps us understand the real threat the real existential threat to the country isn't Vladimir Putin, although I believe Vladimir Putin is a, a, a monstrous figure who absolutely poses a threat to the peace and security of the world. But a greater threat, and this is where someone like Gary and I might disagree, the greater threat to us, and this is where Gary and I actually agree, is our domestic left. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything about Putin. But it does mean that we should recognize and understand the far greater threat. All great powers in history have been hated. Um, but history, if you look back, has usually delivered a pretty good reason for their hatred. But America, and I'm speaking here not just of you know leftists around the world, but more primarily about leftists here at home... America isn't hated for any reason. It's hated for every reason. America's like George Orwell's, you know, Room 101. Whatever your bugbear, whatever you find objectionable, you will find inside it. Whatever you're against, um, America's the prime example of it, right? The one reason why America haters here at home embrace environmentalism. If the U.S. were the typical great power, the intellectual class would be arguing that the U.S. that were a threat to France, were a threat to India, a threat to China, whatever it is. But because we're so obviously not that kind of power, the left has had to concoct a thesis that 
the hyperpower, quote unquote, is a threat, not merely to this or that nation, but to the entire planet. We don't just threaten China or India. We threaten everyone. Why? Because we're Americans. Not because of conventional great power designs, but because of our way of life, the way we live. That's what they're trying to destroy. And this construct tells me, anyway, um, much about how unthreatening we really are. And maybe it's time we acknowledge that fact, and maybe it's time we stop being defensive, and maybe it's time we start going on the offense. Our enemies, domestic, have made a bet, and they're working to fulfill that bet, that we're decadent. They want us to be decadent. They're decadent. They're betting, and they're right, unfortunately, that we've got no attention span, that um, as you know, recent political developments have, have uh, demonstrated, we don't have a stomach, don't have the stomach, a stomach for a fight. Now, you combined this with our government's total incompetence, and you've got the makings of a real existential crisis, a real one. Everybody knows that this isn't about delegitimizing or criminalizing Donald Trump. Because whoever you might support as an alternative to Trump, whether it's Ron DeSantis, whether it's Mike Pence, whether it's Nikki Haley, whether it's Howdy Doody, whoever it is, will be totally unrecognizable at the time the campaign is over. Because whoever it is Republican voters choose, whoever it is we select, will be completely redefined by the left. And when I say the left, I'm talking about all of the powers that control all of the cultural high points of our society. I'm talking about the media will uniformly transform through evisceration whoever the Republican nominee is. If it's Santa Claus, Santa Claus will become the devil incarnate. If it's Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa will, by the end of this campaign, look more like Donald Trump than the, the blessed saint of Calcutta. Everyone knows that those people who control the media, academia, Hollywood, the music industry, the newspaper industry, television, all of corporate media, the government itself, the bureaucracy, that's who we're fighting. And the two-tier justice system that is so evident to everyone, it's not going to make a difference whether or not we oppose it, whether or not it sickens us. They'll win. They'll win because we haven't yet figured out how to wait, figured out a way how to do what they've done, and that is to unite. The left doesn't agree on everything, but they do agree on the one thing that makes them so dangerous, and that is that the United States is evil, that our country is rotten, that we're racist, 
that is their uber uber belief and they don't let petty politics i don't want to call republican disagreement or dissension petty but they understand that uniting in the face of a rising america is a is a greater responsibility on their part their part than pointing out where bernie sanders and aoc may disagree and that's our problem that's our problem Everybody knows 2020, the election was rigged, and there might be a semantic difference between the terms rigged and stolen. Gary and I have talked ad infinitum about that difference, and the left plays upon, quote-unquote, election day fraud, and it's very convenient for them to say that because there may or may not have been massive election day fraud, but what we do know is that everything up to election day was rigged. Those who rigged it claim it wasn't stolen on a technicality because they changed all the technicalities. (laughs) They changed all the rules before the election to make cheating easier, to make verification harder. It's like, you know, we're in the middle of March Madness. Right before tip-off, the refs announce massive new changes to the rules of the game. And it's not simply Democratic operatives. There's the media. And I'm being redundant. I'm repeating myself because they're one and the same. They engaged in massive, widespread, coordinated propaganda designed to punish Trump, hurt Trump, and help Biden. And don't think for a second they're not doing the same or will do the same again. For all the talk about Democrats not wanting Biden to run, you mark my words, you take this to the bank. When he does run, and I think he probably will, they'll fall in line. You're not going to hear many Democrat talking heads on cable TV or on mainstream media trashing Joe Biden. But yet our problem is you're going to hear a lot of Republicans trashing either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, whoever the nominee is, and we'll be divided. We'll vote, but we'll be divided. And that prevents us from confronting the real enemy, and the real enemy is at home. What was Abraham Lincoln's great line? If America were to fall, I'm paraphrasing, no enemy could take a drink out of the Ohio unless we ourselves... I'm I'm mixing uh, uh, his quotes here because there were several different quotes, but he's talking about how um, uh, if destruction be our lot, then suicide be the means. We can only die by suicide. No foreign power would ever be able to take a drink out of the Ohio. And that's, I think that's as true today as it ever was. Our greatest threat is obviously internal. And it's a loss of a loss of of national pride, a loss of of understanding. Paul Johnson, in his great book History of the American People, by the way, I don't know if we we can promote books, but I'm going to promote a book. Paul Johnson, the fabulous, fabulous English historian who just died, sadly, he was I think ninety three or ninety four. One of the truly great kind of modern, popular historians, wrote probably 25 books. They're incredibly readable, um, 
three or four have been outstanding national bestsellers. Um, he wrote a book called The History of the American People, and I think it was 2000, 2001 or something like that, right at the end of the Clinton administration. It's a thousand pages. Now, don't don't be put off by that. I've read that book four times. And every time I read it, I'm reminded, A, that I have the attention span and memory of a housefly, or B, just how profound an intellect, just how profound and insightful an historian he is. Because every time I read it, I learn something I didn't think that I knew before. Every sentence has a fact. And this last time I read it, I guess what I came away with was uh, an understanding, a comprehension of an element of American history that describes our current predicament better than I'd ever understood it before. And that is the emergence of mass media and the implication that's had on American perception of ourselves. That until the emergence of mass media, he brings it back to FDR, to the 30s and the 40s. Until the emergence of mass media, America's great cultural milestones were all pro-American. Our great writers, Hawthorne, um, Herman Melville, uh, uh, even Walt Whitman, um, Thoreau, um, all of them were personifications of how we all like to view ourselves as individualists, as self-starters, as um, uh, great proponents of uh, a new American ethic of freedom, uh, reaching for the stars, a land of no limits, a land of, of opportunity, unprecedented in the history of, of uh, mankind, a unique and remarkable experiment. Thoreau, you know, on Walden Pond, transcendentalism, Hawthorne, he points out, Paul Johnson points out that, that uh, Hawthorne, the great American intellect of the middle of the 19th century, he was a door-to-door salesman. <laughs> he, you know, he wasn't an academic. He didn't have a spot on MSNBC. He had to make a living like everybody else. And Johnson's point is that with the emergence of mass media, you, for the very first time, had people who could make their livings in an exclusively media-centric way, and that the personalities of media became more important, more prominent, and ultimately more powerful than the owners of the media. Today, let's look at, look at Fox News. Let's say the management of Fox News wanted to get rid of Tucker Carlson. There'd be hell to pay if they did that, because in many ways, Tucker's more powerful than they are. And let me swing back for a second on Ukraine, because I wanted to make this point earlier, and I think I forgot to. Tucker, I know a lot of rhinos are just disgusted, and I don't want to use just rhinos, but a lot of, of, of more hawkish Republicans, conservatives, are disgusted with Tucker on Ukraine. I get that. Uh, I think some of his stuff is is totally over the top, calling Zelensky a criminal and all that kind of stuff. I think it it does make him sound, uh, I don't like it. On the other hand, 
Tucker is a far, far more positive influence than a negative one. He delivers far more than he detracts. He's right in this guy's humble opinion 90% of the time. And as Ronald Reagan said, if you're with me 80% of the time and you're against me 20% of the time, you are with me. Tucker is with us. Tucker leads us in many ways. I think he's, I love him. I think he's fabulous. And I think he's totally wrong on Ukraine. <laughs> All right. I think he's, yet it's, it's funny because I don't react negatively to him when he says things that I don't necessarily agree with in a way that I would with everyone else. And I think that's an attitude I'm not promoting, you know, I'm not trying to congratulate myself. That's what the left does. Their entire uh, purpose is to pat themselves on the back. But I think that's the approach we should take. And if you are very skeptical of aid to Ukraine, for instance, and there is someone out there who you agree with 80% of the time and who was far more favorable toward aggressive assistance to Ukraine, you ought to view them in the same way. If they're with you 80% of the time and against you 20% of the time, they are with you. This article in The Atlantic that came out, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday of this week, um, remember The Atlantic magazine, formerly credible? It used to be a pretty good magazine. It's now just, I didn't even realize they still published. It's, it has become so absurdly woke that it really has no, again, I used to read it. I used to subscribe to it. And an indication of how irrelevant it is is that I don't even care anymore. What I didn't even know they still published. Who cares? This article, you know, nobody likes Mike Pence. Well, I like Mike Pence. So by that measure, the headline is wrong. This, this um, <clears throat> article uh, seeks to, to paint uh, Pence as, uh, you know what, I, did, I got through about, I read about nine paragraphs and it was so obviously absurd. I didn't even finish. And I'm a close friend of Mike Pence. I worked with him, for him, in the White House for four years. I was senior advisor and chief strategist, and he's been a dear friend of mine for 35 years. And everything I see about Pence, I, I read, whether it's positive or negative. But this was just so absurd, I didn't even finish it. This is the same magazine that pushed, and to this day has never apologized, by the way, this totally fake story. You remember back in, it was 2019 or 2018? No, I think it was 2019. This totally fake story when Trump went for the 75th anniversary of the Normandy landings, uh, this fake story that Trump disparaged the dead at Normandy. Remember that? And it was on the base, this was a Jeffrey Goldberg story, the guy who says that Barack Obama should be president because of the crease in his pant leg. The story was based on these two unnamed sources. They were anonymous. Nobody ever named. And this story went on and on. It was thousands of words long without ever bothering to report. They actually went out of their way to withhold the information that 24 people who were with the president that day on the record, signed affidavits, emphatically denying the story as a complete lie. To this day, the Atlantic has never acknowledged its, its totally despicable uh, uh, 
story. It's never acknowledged uh, that it lied, that it withheld critical and valuable information from the reader. It's like, who cares? Somebody ought to try to compile. And we've got, unfortunately, district attorneys and prosecutors, uh, left-wing prosecutors all over the country that are trying to do this. A list of all the crimes, real or imagined, that the media have concocted trying to convict Donald Trump of. The list is almost endless. There are dozens, and none of them, none, have stuck. And this absurd Alvin Bragg story out of New York, and we'll find out where this goes. The grand jury scheduled to meet on Thursday, you know, we'll find out as the days transpire how it, how it uh, progresses. I mean, everything. And the fact that not one of them has been able to stick to the wall, not one of them has initiated any kind of self-reflection on the part of his accusers. It's only accelerated their push to find something, anything to convict him of. And I don't even know that their interest here is to convict Donald Trump of anything. All they want, all they want is the mugshot. They'll do anything to get the mugshot. That mugshot, Jesse Waters pointed this out. He's great, by the way. Pointed this out earlier in the week. That picture will become one of the most iconic pictures in American history. It will rise to the level of Neil Armstrong saluting the American flag on the moon. It'll rise to the level of the flags being raised above Iwo Jima, of the little girl uh, running naked from a napalm bombing in, in, bombing in, in, uh, in uh, Vietnam when the pendulum began to turn, when our iconic images went from being pro-America to being anti-America. This will, it'll be in every history book because the uh, uh, textbook because the left writes all the textbooks. That's the way... That's the way it works. That's what we're up against. We've never really seen um, such a coordinated, such a coordinated top to bottom effort to delegitimize the very wellsprings of uh, the culture and the civilization that that we're all the products of. We're so vested in. Cultural relativism, that now has become uh, kind of the defining bottom line belief of everybody on the left, <clears throat> that there's no such thing as right or wrong except what I believe. There's no such thing as good or evil except what I believe. And that uh, no civilization's better than another. In fact, it's worse than that. They don't believe that, that our civilization is equal to every other civilization. They think ours is worse. And... As a result, we don't understand. I don't think Republicans, I don't think conservatives, some of us do, but we don't yet understand. It hasn't yet uh, filtered to the point of our DNA where we recognize it instantly that the correlation between our vulnerability um, and our increasing dependence on government, that, that, that the danger that that poses, right? 
the government now has annexed, and this is by design, it's not by accident, has annexed all the responsibilities of what we used to call adulthood. It used to be people were responsible for their own health care, their own child care, their own elder care, even our primal instinct to defend ourselves has now been subsumed by government and in its place comes um, all the programs that we're now afraid to talk about in our budget debate. If you think for a moment, step back just for a second and think about this in the year 2000 fiscal year 2000, that was Bill Clinton's final budget that he submitted to Congress for federal spending. And that budget was, at that point, thought to be outrageous, $1.3 trillion. And the country at that point was 230 years old. So in 230, it took us 230 years to spend a trillion dollars, for our federal government to spend a trillion dollars. It took 235 years, 34 years. Here we are 20-some years later, and that number has gone from $1.3 trillion to $7 trillion. Federal spending has increased, what is that? I'm not a math major, 500% in 20 years? 500%? And as bad as the Iraq war was, and I'm as guilty as many on the right because I supported that war, I now realize that was a terrible, terrible mistake, not just the war, but how we fought it. If you add up all of that, that's only about 10% of the budget deficits we've run up in the past 25 years. Now, look at, look at the revenue side. On the revenue side, in Bill Clinton's final year, the Treasury took in, that was, those were back in the Newt Gingrich days when we actually ran surpluses, we took in about a billion, uh, sorry, a million, billion, trillion, gazillion, $1.5 trillion. That was net federal revenues. So we had a budget surplus of about $200 billion. Today, this year, the government will take in, through taxes and fees and all its sources of revenue, primarily taxes from you, $4 trillion. So in 23 years, spending is up 500%. And your taxes have doubled. Have you gotten double your money? Do you feel as though that's well spent? You're paying twice as much in taxes as you did 20 years, 25 years ago? Twice as much? Is America twice better? Are our streets twice as safe? Are our kids twice as well educated? Is our defense twice as stout? Uh, and of course, nobody can talk about this because if you talk about it, you're immediately demagogued into wanting to crush Social Security, wanting to destroy Social Security, wanting to push grandma off the cliff. Uh, you know, that's uh, actually, wow, we're way over. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the Bauer and Rose podcast. 
Brought to you by JustTheNews.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose with you, the Bauer and Rose a podcast, the Bauer and Rose show. Uh, we know you've got, God, how many? I think Gary and I were some of the last people on the planet to have their own podcasts. So uh, to say that you have choices, alternatives uh, to spend your time is an understatement. And the fact that you're with us is uh, truly an honor and, and, and we're grateful. Um, we were talking about, well, I was talking about a thousand different things, but the bottom line is there, there are two camps. There are those who think America is irredeemably evil, bad, lousy, and those who think that we remain, in Abe Lincoln's words, the last great hope of man. And our challenge, our battle, is to, uh, under, when I say us, I mean those on the right, um, to understand that the challenge we face, we face multiple challenges, but if we're unable to stop our opponents, yes, I'll use the term, our enemies here at home, the enemies abroad aren't going to make a difference. So... While we can disagree, we can argue, and we can discuss, and we can learn from each other about our different views on aid to Ukraine, on what to do about Iran, on the rising challenge of China. None of that will really make a difference if we don't put up the defense that's necessary to save our country. And... I don't know whether we're going to be able to do that. I really don't. I, we can try, but this week, of course, we had um, the spectacle, not simply of the uh, insanity of the, this, this, this Trump indictment. It, absolutely. I mean, you've heard it. You don't need me to repeat how pathetic this whole case is a case against a former president, the leading candidate in an upcoming presidential campaign based on a, 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 a porn star and a convicted liar. This case rests upon the word of a, of a, of a, of a tramp who uh, made sex movies, a, a, a porn star and an inveterate convicted three-time at least liar who spent not three times but spent three years in prison michael cohen this is the case you're going to bring against donald trump i don't know if it's going to help donald trump or hurt donald trump but it will certainly hurt the country and the damage it will do will far outlast donald trump 
And I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, uh, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And uh, if they do this against Trump, by uh, you know, Republicans will soon do it against the Dem- Will we? <laughs> will we really? I mean, we should have been pushing for the impeachment of President Biden from day one for no reason. Just like the Democrats pushed for impeachment of Donald Trump for no reason. Because the only way this will stop is to threaten those who threaten us with the same poisons they're, they're using to try to kill us. Democrats aren't going aren't gonna to stop uh, impeaching Republican presidents on their own. They're only going to stop impeaching Republican presidents if we start impeaching Democrat presidents. And yet no senior Republican has even uttered the word impeachment. And if Donald Trump can be impeached for a phone call, Joe Biden can be impeached 20 times. Illegal bailouts, unconstitutional loan forgiveness, Afghan withdrawal. Uh, The list goes on and on, not, not to mention weaponizing the Justice Department, covering up their personal family corruption. I mean, you could impeach Biden on half a dozen national security grounds. You could impeach him for unprecedented uh, personal corruption. If you go through American history, you, uh, you ask historians, who was the most corrupt president? They'll say Warren Harding or Ulysses Grant or Richard Nixon. Um, those guys don't hold a candle to Joe Biden. Not a candle. Grant Grant's crime was that all his friends were crooks. Warren Harding's crime was all his friends were crooks. Warren's Harding line was, you know, my enemies I can handle. It's my damn friends that are uh, that 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 I can't control. But nothing will happen, and I I don't know when or how any of that will ever change. But the see the media then focuses excessively on us and our divisions and that just encourages us to try to strike out you know independent approaches and uh, to go after one another on the areas where we disagree and i'm not suggesting for a second that we uh, don't have uh, good grounds for disagreement on everything from from how to protect our kids in schools to entitlement reform to ukraine to uh you know the woeful state of of uh, of of the american navy I mean, there are all kinds of issues where where we need to talk and we need to discuss. And that's really what distinguishes, I think, our time from the times that preceded us. There were always strong, bitter, uh, even even vicious disagreements. We did have that minor event called the Civil War. But until this generation, and when I say this generation, I'm talking, you know, 1970 on, 75 on. The arguments and the passionate disputations between Americans revolved around the fundamental fundamental question of what's in America's best interests? How do we make the country stronger and better? And there were bitter disagreements. Do we promote a bigger government? Do we have a smaller government? Do we increase involvement in Vietnam? Do we decrease involvement in Vietnam? Do we expand federal education spending or do we contract it? But you understand that that the difference there is that both sides of the debate 
argued for what they thought would strengthen the country, would make it better. That's not what we face today. Now it's between those who want to, God, not even strengthen America, just save America, and those who want to accelerate its destruction. That's the, cha- that's the difference, and that's what makes this age so dangerous. Um, I mean, the, the principal characteristic of, of our broader culture, which is a left-wing culture, <clears throat> is an eagerness to apologize. It's all apology, and the apology is based on the fact that we are irredeemably sinful. And what makes us unique, that the left either rejects or doesn't understand, and that the right, unfortunately, doesn't fully appreciate, because we don't articulate it, we don't yell it loud enough from the rooftops, is that our record for atoning for our sins is precisely what makes us unique. While we've committed evil, there's no question about it, we've been, it's been the same people that have summoned the strength and the character to slay those monsters of our evil, slavery and racism and segregation and Jim Crow and um, mistreatment of, of American Indians, of, of uh, Native Americans. And what the left gets that we don't, it's a lot easier to fight yesterday's wars than it is today's wars. So the left doesn't even have to engage us. They just condemn our past and delegitimize our past. It's a lot easier to fight, you know, dead Confederates or uh, marble statues than it is to fight... um, for us anyway, leftist extremism. The left has made fetishes of our past sins um, that has the added benefit for them anyway of conveniently excusing them and by definition extension us from doing anything about about the sins of, of today. New York Times this week and... CNN headlines, the U.N. Secretary General, a speech that uh, we have 10 years left before we all die from planetary implosion. That is, uh, you know, as our financial system is on the verge of collapse, (laughs) as we've got a president that has redefined moral hazard to the extent where uh, he's prepared to guarantee everybody's bad bet, we face a far greater risk of, of, of collapsing from internal fiscal insanity than we do from the world coming to an end from global warming or climate change, as they now like to call it. There are four points to this argument that the conservatives just don't do a good job making four points on which the entire argument rests. And if any of the four can be successfully challenged at any point, then all other elements of their theory collapse. It's like the domino theory. First of all, you've got to prove that there truly is indeed global warming in the first place, and it, it, there's a lot of evidence that that exists. 
then you've got to prove that this warming activity is actually caused in any measurable way by human activity. And there's some evidence that that's true. Then you've got to prove that there's anything we can do to mitigate the damage we've already caused. And the UN itself is unsure about that. And finally, if there is any damage, can it be demonstrated with, with um, I guess what lawyers would call a preponderance of the evidence that not doing something about it is going to lead to human catastrophe? See, the problem is these alarmists, um, who are now mainstream, by the way, expose themselves at every stage of this path because if any of the above premises isn't true, then their entire argument falls apart. If there is no global warming, then obviously it's not a problem. If there is global warming, but we're not the primary cause, then economy-destroying, life-altering, government-mandated changes are pointless and self-destructive. And if there is warming, and we are responsible but the steps we've mandated won't change the fact, then I don't see there's any justification for the, the control mentality, the, the, the siege mentality. Finally, if there is global warming, this is more like a Talmudic argument here, I guess I'm getting into. If there is global warming and we are responsible and our steps can help abate it, but it's then shown that warming won't have these cataclysmic impact that the alarmists are promising us, then everything they advocate still is without justification. Because why should we destroy our economies? Why should we impoverish ourselves for something that we can have no impact on? And that's the point. That is the point. The point is, it has nothing to do with the environment. It has nothing to do with the climate They want to knock us down a peg or ten. They want to make us less free, less prosperous, less powerful, less influential. They want to make our source of goodness less good. Otherwise, why would they need to rig the game if the science of warming is as clear as and indisputable as they claim. Anyway, these are some of the things that that we got to deal with in the coming months and years. And um, as the weekend progresses, may I wish you all a happy Sweet 16 uh, to Final Four weekend. I got to admit, uh, Gary and I both, um, our weekends are free now because our teams are gone. Uh, blown away, dust in the wind. I was a a big Purdue guy. I'm from Indiana. And then when they, I wouldn't say laid an egg, when they um, <clears throat> laid a dozen eggs, uh, that was it for me. So have a great weekend, everybody. And we will talk to you uh, uh, later next week. This is the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Make sure and hit the subscribe button on your podcast so you don't miss an episode of Bauer and Rose. Have a great week. 